Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friends Show. I am your host, Nicholas Larimer, and today I'm joined by Gerban van Hierden. Harry, how are you doing? Hi, Nick. Um, it's good to be back on, on the show. It's good to see you guys. Good to have you back with us. And we also have Mr. Terence Corrigan. Terence, how are you doing, sir? Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm not too bad. A little bit warm, uh, but that's, you know, a welcome change after what were some very bitter cold days this year. Uh, Looking forward to the rain that hopefully this warmth will bring. Um, Although I know there's lots of parts of the country that have had more than enough rain to last a lifetime right now. So uh, I I hope the rain is just on us and Gauteng. But anyway, um, let's get into the news of today. And the first story we're going to talk about today is one of those stories of municipal mismanagement, which it's, it's the kind of thing where if you don't, Uh, laugh, you'll cry, uh, because it's just sort of so ridiculous. So it has emerged that apparently the city of Johannesburg, which has recently been making extremely rough, tough efforts to collect as much uh, outstanding municipal debt as possible. Uh, There's been many, many stories in the media about the municipality going around, cutting off people who haven't paid, cutting off businesses. There was even a threat to cut off uh, Joburg's two biggest, uh, most important second and third most important hospitals. Um, So this has been really in the news, but it turns out that the guys who are hired to do all of this, you know, cutting off and debt collecting, um, haven't themselves been paid. In fact, they're owed a significant amount of money. Uh, Despite collecting half a billion rand for the municipality, the city of Joburg has told its debt collectors that it cannot pay them for the work they have done yet. 93 contracted companies have not been paid in six months, and this has in fact led to uh, layoffs in some of these companies. And the city is falling below its goal of how much revenue it wants to collect. Um, it was it's only collected seventy five percent of the revenue. It's aiming for ninety one percent to be collected, uh, and we've seen all sorts of cutoffs of of everything from nursing homes to individuals uh, all over the place. Um, and this is also going alongside higher valuations and rates, which have been raised in the city of Johannesburg. And yet at the same time, there is shortages of water in large parts of the city. Um, lots of Johannesburg, due to leaks, stolen water and other problems with the infrastructure, uh, are, have been without water for, in some cases, more than a month. So, Terence, let me start with you. The situation is so dire, and what makes it kind of more head-scratching is that uh, Dara Morero, the MMC of finance in the city of Johannesburg, who is a member of the ANC, said um, that the reason the debt collectors haven't been paid so uh, in such a long time is because of, quote, a process of validation, which had to happen first. However, he promised that they would be paid 37 million rand that they were owed by next Friday. What do you make of all this? What does he mean? I mean, who are they validating? They're validating that the money is owed. Are they validating that who these guys are who they are? Um, no, look, this, this, uh, as they say in Texas, that dog don't hunt. Um, no, look, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think this is just uh, the latest in a long, sad, tragic. Um, 
heart-rending tale of municipal mismanagement that goes back decades. Um, you know, in the 1990s, you could you could argue with some justification that um, uh, there's a completely new system being established, and you know we're going to struggle with that a bit. Right now, it's kind of like um, uh, you know the the clowns took over the circus essentially. Um, I don't know. What, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't have a better way to say it. Um, the hub of South Africa's economy shouldn't have an issue like this. Um, you know that that, that council is, is, is on the verge of bankruptcy, and you know everything is just kind of like breaking down. What you're going to do? What are you going to do indeed? Well, apparently the city of Joburg's response, as I mentioned, was to be very aggressive in cutting off and trying to collect uh, revenue. And yet, um, well, can I just also make a point on that, which is that uh, many people point to the unpaid debts in Soweto. Um, but actually, that's not the city of Johannesburg problem because Soweto is serviced directly by ESCOP. Uh, so there, the city of Joburg is not actually dealing with that issue. Um, and 75% revenue collection is no, not super, super low. Um, but what is interesting is a lot of the places that are outstanding. And it turns out, due to some daily Maverick reporting, that in fact, uh, FOEs and government departments owe a significant amount of money to the city of Johannesburg for water alone. Uh, mm. The Accounting Department of Health owes 340 million rand. Departments of Housing and Education also owe uh, many hundreds of millions of brands. Uh, the uh, Passenger Rail um, Agency, Prasa, owes 72 million rand, and Transnet owes 66 million rand. Your but, developmental state at work. <laughs> indeed, these places don't seem to be being cut off. Instead, it's ordinary citizens that are feeling the brunt. Yeah, the you know, that, that is a point, that is a point just to be made that um, uh, non-payment isn't, isn't always about, uh, uh, about delinquent householders. Um, it's been a source of cheap credit for a lot of companies and evidently for a lot of, uh, um, uh, for a lot of government departments. But you know, once once again, you know, for a uh, uh, for a for a state that bills itself as you know the answer to our developmental challenges, this is a poor show. Indeed, indeed, Fabrant, what do you make of all this? Um, it, it really does feel. I know that you you relatively recently moved out of Johannesburg, uh, not not that long ago, um, to to the Western Cape. Um, and I, sus I, I don't know, but I suspect part of the reason was that you weren't entirely happy with, this, with the situation in Johannesburg. And it is very much feels like the case that, uh, especially for, I think, I would say the last two years or so, Johannesburg's quality of services and management seems to have deteriorated rapidly. And there are more and more stories every day which uh, suggest that the city's infrastructure is in a state of kind of accelerating collapse. What do you make of all this? Yeah, I was actually um, pondering that question quite recently because I, I still do travel back to Joburg um, on a regular basis. And every time I enter the city, you know, I love the city. I love Johannesburg, but um, the city looks sick. It looks like, you know, uh, um, it, yeah, it's just the, the, the health of the city has just gone 
backwards significantly, but I, I, I asked myself, is it because when I stayed in Joburg, things were already bad like that and I was just completely used to it? And when I moved to Cape Town, I suddenly now recognize the, the differences or has things, things just deteriorated significantly in the last two years? Um, but, you know, I, I also want to um, go back to an argument uh, or a, a statement that Terence made, um, I think, earlier this year or last year. Um, you know, Johannesburg doesn't have um, mountains or vineyards or, or oceans, but people were still drawn to Johannesburg because it was the economic hub. You had the the um, the mining companies, um, the, the the big corporate stationed in Santon. So that was a big draw card. But in in this new era where um, the the mines have gone dry in Gauteng and where you have this working from home phenomenon uh, that has taken place and and that has given more skilled people choice to to you know, still work for a, a Java company, but from KwaZulu-Natal or from the Western Cape. In in this new era, in order for Joburg to still keep on developing and remain relevant and still remain the economic hub of the country, um, you know, Terence suggested that Joburg should basically emulate what uh, a city like Dubai has done. You know, Dubai doesn't have lots of resources or natural beauty, but um, it has become this, it, it's built like mega malls and like super theme parks, and it's got the world's latest technology. And that is how Dubai still, you know, has positioned itself as one of the main global cities in the world, even though from the start it didn't have a lot to go uh, for. Um, so, you know, and I, I think that's the same approach that Johannesburg should also take, but how can you take that approach when the local government and the national government is running Joburg to the ground where, I mean, how do you attract investors? How do you attract um, new, new um, you know, business people with new ideas if you your city doesn't have water, it doesn't have lights, it doesn't have roads to drive on. Um, so, um, yeah, I, th I think with the latest um, census as well, census 2022, I saw an article in Daily Maverick where they said that it seems like Joburg is stagnating. Um, you know, it's the city isn't growing that fast anymore in terms of its population because... It's 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 losing its shine in in every way, and uh, yeah, that's that's a huge problem for Joburg. I mean, if if you can't get the basics right, then Joburg's going to become our version of Detroit, a forgotten mining industry city. 
Um, yeah. Or, or, or well, we could even compare it to, to the way Kimberley looks these days, which was once actually one of the great cities of South Africa yeah. um, and is now sort of an increasingly dusty, decrepit place. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. on that point you made about Joburg not growing as fast, um, I, I noticed that in the census data too, when looking at the Gauteng level. Mm-hmm. And while Gauteng is still receiving a huge influx of people, it's also having a lot of people leave. Um, and I think that is what explains some of the science and growth. Terence, your, your thoughts? Well, you know, like uh, if they don't do something to answer that question, I remember a previous show we discussed this idea of putting up a big mega monument because it's going to encourage tourism. And I suggested, yeah, how about a nice big elephant to paint it white? Um, <laughs> well, you know, look, it's, it's just there's, there's something profoundly unserious about all of this. You know, uh, we'll spend the next like three years like designing the new improved spatial development plan with our big mega monument. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I think there yeah, is a place for commerce. That's what you want. Exactly. I think I think there is a big place for what uh, Herbrand described there in kind of the sort of Dubai type tourism. Um, unlike Dubai, we have you know, tolerable weather that isn't awful. <laughs> so that's an advantage. And go to a place like Santon City and you will see foreigners, particularly from Africa, uh, the mm. sort of Africa's elites from Nigeria, from Kenya, from, from all over the place, uh, coming here to shop uh, for expensive brands and luxury goods and stuff. And, you know, it's not the biggest market in the world, but it's definitely one that Joba could take more of an advantage of if some of the basics worked properly. If you could build a new development without having to pay bribes, without having to wait ages for regulatory approval and being able to know that firstly, your customers would be sort of, you know, safe from crime uh, and at the very least uh, able to get water <laughs> when they want it. Um, because right now it's really just, you know, water is something that's much harder to, re- to for uh, in a water scarce country like us to replace. You can get a generator, you can get solar panels, you can get all sorts of things if you're a company or a, or a wealthier person or, or you have, um, you know, a, a larger business, but water, uh, things start to get a bit more dicey. Yeah, um, yeah no, exactly. Uh, okay, let us move on to our next story. And this one is, I think, very closely related to the first story. And this is following on from our, our, our episode we did yesterday on the Daily Friend Wrap. We talked about the national results from a Brenthurst Foundation, sorry, a Brenthurst Group poll a demographically representative sample, 1,500 people, which found that the ANC's support nationally, according compared to their previous polls, had dropped from 48% to 41%. But uh, today, we're going to focus on the provincial results uh, in that same survey, which found that the ANC's vote share is something like currently, according to their poll, 37% of counting. And in KZN, it's down to 32%, which is absolutely devastating if that's true. Now, I have some suspicions. I think that uh, KZN um, has, has been a little bit difficult to poll in the past. I know, for example, the IFP is often slightly underpolled. Um, in fact, that may suggest the ANC is going to do worse here. But be that as it may, um, uh, the other interesting fact that we did mention yesterday is that Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, approval rating, which once was in the sort of mid-60s, has fallen now to 42%. He's still the most popular politician in the country, but not by that much anymore. In fact, pretty much all of our politicians are rather unpopular. Um, Terence, let me start with you again. 
what do you make of this um, uh, this poll? Do you buy its results? Um, do you think the ANC is in trouble in Kharting and KZN? I think the first thing to note is that, um, and this, some, this is something that seems to elude a lot of commentators, a poll is not a prediction. It is uh, a snapshot of people's, of people's opinions on a kind of theoretical level as things stand at the moment. Um, I do. Th I think that the ANC has a certain uh, advantage of, an, of inertia and incumbency that will uh, uh, that will serve it fairly well on election day when an election is actually held. For me, the interesting thing though is, that, is this: that we see um, the uh, if if the ANC does sort of fall to the levels that it's talking about there, which, as I say, I don't think is a, I don't think is a is a likely scenario. And they still want to make a go of uh, remaining in government. If we assume that the various moonshot pack groups are definitively out, which I think is also something that remains to be seen, the only one they can really go with is the EFF. So, you know, could this be the, your doomsday coalition? Are they are they in trouble in KwaZulu Natal and Gauteng? Yes, you know, I thought. I remember actually a couple of years ago speaking to a um, uh, speaking to a, a big name academic who I won't name here, um, and I said, mark my words, Kauteng will be the next uh, nine pin to fall. I think that is probably going to happen in the next election. Because Ilan Natal has, uh, in a way, um, has shown a bit of uh, you know democratic variability, although it's politics. Let's just say I would. I I I, I am thankful Kwazulu Natal's politics kind of remains in Kwazulu Natal for the most part because it's no, not uh, it's not it's it's not an attractive thing. Uh, just on your point about the ANC and EFF perhaps going into coalition with one another, um, you know, these polls have been kind of all over the place. But generally speaking, I would say most of the polls that have come out about the national share of the ANC vote and also. Um, what we've seen from KZN and such, not just from the Rentos Foundation, but also from our former boss, um, Franz Cronier's uh, institution, the Social Research Foundation, uh, have shown the ANC kind of somewhere in the 40s nationally and somewhere mm. in the high 30s in, in these other provinces. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the EFF is going to get somewhere between 10 and 20%, probably closer to 10, but we don't know, somewhere in that range. And that means that... Uh, they will probably be a viable coalition partner. But, you know, this story, let me bring up this story, Kerry. Um, Malema was speaking to supporters outside a courtroom yesterday. He was trying to get his gun charge, the improper gun usage charges against him dropped. Um, but he gave a talk, and this is very clearly going to be the cornerstone of the EFF's campaign, uh, which interestingly is focused on branding the EFF as an anti-corruption party, which when one thinks of the VBS scandal is a little bit silly. But anyway, um, Malema said that uh, if you want to see Cyril Ramaphosa behind bars for the Palapala scandal, you must vote the EFF into government. Uh, Malema said that the first thing the EFF government will do is uh, go to the, once they are in the union buildings, is arrest Ramaphosa for Palapala. Um, he said, if you want Ramaphosa to account for the Palapala scandal, vote EFF. Our government is going to arrest him when we take government after winning the 2024 elections. We will make him account as soon as we arrive at the union buildings. Malema also claimed to be drawing up a list of ministers for his cabinet in waiting. Now, if the EFF is going to go into coalition with the ANC, this is going to be a little bit awkward to finesse rhetorically. I don't know, Kerry, what do you make of all this? 
Yeah, um, I don't know exactly where to begin with all of that. Uh, but um, uh, I will say yes, I agree with you. It will be a very awkward situation when Malema says, we're this anti-corruption party, we're going to arrest Ramaphosa, and then with the 2024 elections, it turns out the EFF and the ANC have to get into the same bed. Um, but I think um, what we've seen in the last few years as well is that um, at least half of what um, EFF leader Malema says, you know, he'll say one thing today and, and the complete opposite tomorrow. Um, so take it with a pinch of salt. Um, yeah, I think uh, it, I, I think it's also a strange country that we, we're living in. If you are a, a taxpayer, um, middle class, uh, decent person, uh, minding your own business, living in in Park Town North, you you want the ANC to fall below fifty percent, but not too much because otherwise the, you'll get the doomsday, you know, um, coalition pact between the ANC and the EFF. I, I do think that the, the, I personally think that the ANC will not drop below 50% because, and, you know, I'll refer to what one of my other colleagues have said, is that um, the ANC's support base, even despite permanent load shedding, an increasing watershedding crisis, decrepit service delivery. The ANC's um, support base remains sticky, especially in, 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 in rural provinces, rural areas. I mean, Buffalo City and Mangaung are the two cities where the ANC still gets above 50% in the municipal elections. Um, so if the ANC does drop below 50%, I do think it'll be just beneath that threshold. Um, which will require the ANC to go into a coalition with like your smaller one one percent two percent political parties. Someone like but, the ART. Yeah, but I think um, one we should always be on our guard um, of the possibility of an ANC EFF coalition and what that might mean for South Africa. Um, yeah, it's a, um, it's a very, very uncertain political time era that we're about to enter in this country. Um, yeah. So, Terence, you know, on the show we've talked about, you know, what what are the, the, the problems and possibilities of a, an ANC-EFF coalition, a DA-ANC coalition. Uh, we've even mentioned a couple of times an IFP-ANC coalition. Uh, these are all possibilities if the ANC drops significantly below um, uh, mm. 50%. But I have a, another scenario which I would like your thoughts on, and this is the idea that the ANC just simply won't be able to get any kind of reliable coalition partner. You can make a case for why the EFF won't want to go into coalition with them, why the DA won't go, want to go into coalition with them, and why the IFE won't want to go into coalition with them. And if they can't scrape together enough of the smaller parties to make a coalition work, you could see a scenario where, like, you know, the DA says, okay, will let Ramaphosa be elected president, but only in, if you make this sort of concession in, in Parliament. 
Um, and then you could have a situation where the ANC is effectively crippled legislatively because it will have to either suck up to the DA or the EFF in order to pass any single piece of legislation. Uh, that would leave us with a very unstable government, um, but one in which the ANC is, while technically sort of in charge, doesn't really dominate the legislature anymore. That would make Parliament the centre of our, our politics, I think, in a very real way. Firstly, um, do you think there's any possibility of a scenario like that occurring? And uh, secondly, what are your thoughts on how that would shake out? Well, someone once said in the mid-90s, strange things happen in this new South Africa. Um, no, I think that, 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 that that's, that that's um, an eminent possibility, Pos you know, maybe not this election, maybe, maybe, maybe the election, uh, election later. Look, you must remember amongst the, amongst the three largest parties, there's an enormous degree of, uh, um, of tension and polarization. Um, and among smaller parties, there's lots of people, you know, trying to trying to play their own little games with their own either niche niche interests or, you know, simply looking for looking for the best the best option for for um, uh, for patronage. So yeah, you know, I could um, I could I could foresee a situation where things are just paralyzed, um, and while that may, in a sense, um, uh, stop the worst impulses. That have been on display from uh, uh, from being uh, um, uh, being openly pursued, the overall uh, you know downward drift would would continue if not accelerate because there simply wouldn't be you know even this even the, the the reasonable certainty of bad you know of 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 a sort of bad policy that you could orient yourself around. Um, so yeah, you know I. Um, I think South Africa's salvation is going to lie in eventually getting uh, getting a government with a reason with a reasonably strong uh, electoral mandate that can actually start to address some of the, that recognizes the problems exist and then can start to put some of uh, some of them right. Now, there's probably a generational project, so you know don't uh, don't expect anything overnight. But uh, no, yeah, you know perhaps we are just looking uh, perhaps we are just looking at the kind of untamed wilderness for the next little while. <laughs> No, that's very possible. Anyway, something to consider. Um, and uh, there's still a lot of election, as you pointed out, Terence. You know, this is not a prediction. This is very much a snapshot of of the way things are uh, currently. And who knows how the election campaign is going to shake out? There's still a lot of stuff to come. And if the parties, if one of the parties, you know, if the DA, the EFF, the ANC, any of them stumble in their election campaign, um, we could see a very different result when the when the, when the votes are cast. Uh, all right, very briefly, let's just talk about the new public protector. So Busisizwe Mkubane uh, has been thrown out as public protector, and she's been replaced uh, by uh, advocate Glakela, Glakleka, sorry, um, who is the, who was the deputy public protector. And she has been acting public protector whilst uh, Mkubane was suspended. Uh, there was a little bit of drama in Parliament when the DA's Glynis Breitenbach objected to the fact that, according to parliamentary rules, you are not allowed to criticise a member of a Chapter 9 institution uh, like the Public Protector. However, uh, Glynis Breitenbach said that this made the process unfair because there was only one candidate who was a member, who has been considered for the job of Public Protector, who was already a member of a Chapter 9 institution, and that is uh, the, 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 the one who won the vote. Um, things are 
things were a bit complicated. The DA, I think, ended up walking out of Parliament. I think the EFF may have joined them. In the end, the ANC needed 60% of Parliament to get the thing across, and it looks like I think they were joined by a couple of the small parties and the IFP in order to get their candidate appointed public protector. Terence, what do you make of this? Yeah, I think that um, there's there's uh, ironies within ironies here. First of all, the uh, Chapter 9 institutions uh, are technically known as uh, what state institutions supporting constitutional democracy. Um, now, there were some issues with, with their mandates at the beginning, but um, this was supposed to reassure everyone there'd be a, that there'd be a check on, on, on the abuse of power. And the public protector is an interesting one. Because uh, according to incumbent, it's you know either been a fairly um, a fairly robust uh, uh, safeguard of, of public interests. So I think if you uh, you know Tuli Madden but I think also um, Selby Bakwa, the, the the first one. Others uh, less so. If you think about Lawrence Mushwana and the the what the Petro SA deal, where he decided oh he can't possibly look at uh, funneling money because once it stops being stops belonging to the the ruling to the government, then it's not public money anymore. Um, I think Richard Callan said something like, I'd give him an F for this dross and tell him to do it again. Um, and, um, you know, I think that, uh, but I think after after Tuli Maroncela, the um, uh, the implications of having somebody who is quite harachat, particularly now that the full impl- that the full implications of uh, the ANC's, uh, you know, the ANC's own state capture drive, the one they started in 1997 with code deployment, have come to fruition, they are going to be suspicious of 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 uh, roping in someone with too much independence and uh, let's say arachatness. Um. So yeah, uh, what does it mean? We'll have we'll have to wait and see. Kerry, uh, any final thoughts just before we close up? Uh, nothing to add, but it it, it just the the public protector saga just sounds like a mess. Um, yeah, don't really follow that, but it sounds like a mess. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's definitely going to be the case. I, yeah, I'm not expecting <laughs> much good out of that offer soon, but maybe maybe uh, 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 our new public protector will prove me wrong. I hope I am wrong. Uh, anyway, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for watching, and we will see you on Monday with The Daily Printer. Cheers, everyone. Mm-hmm.